Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. me i have three words for you what pull my finger no (laughs) and i don't mean it in the usual beavis and butthead sense what other sense is there what use is pulling a finger well there's the rich got his finger stuck in the spokes of a bicycle wheel and almost had it severed sense yeah, but how is my pulling of the finger going to help that? Well, maybe it'll help it heal actually a little bit. You know, it didn't he sever some healing uh, energy. It didn't sever and it didn't break, and uh, it's not as purple as it was a week ago. So I'm I'm doing fine. So you want me to pull the finger to uh, pretty much uh, rip the finger right off. Let's rip it off, Coco Joe, dude. <laughs> what? I'm pissed. What are you pissed about? You got notes about everything I got notes. over there. Holy cow. I actually organized. Remember I said I'm going to get organized? What are we drinking today anyway? We're drinking the same thing we've been always drinking. You know, it's, it's like fun. I thought, it was, the same I, thought, thing. I thought it was new and yet I brought this bottle over and apparently we've drunk it before. I'm so, I feel so stupid. Well, that's a given. It's the uh, Punto Final. It's the Punto Final. It's a uh, Melbeck 2006 from... Yeah. Argentina. Argentina. We've had it before, and yet I didn't think we did. But yeah, yet it's, it's really good, good and it's, it's at it's a really good dumb. price. It's under $10 a bottle. And uh, I guess we'll have to drink some of that uh, South African stuff that you had on tap next time. You hear this? I do. It's my uh, bottle opener. It's got an orange cork. That's right. I heard a story about uh, corks. Do tell. The, uh, the synthetic cork was, was starting to get popular. Yeah. But uh, people are going back to the organic corks because really? they think they're getting cheaper. Synthetic is more expensive because of? Uh, the price of oil. There you go. Yeah. Well, the business that I work in right now. It's hurting. It, well, we've got the copper, which went through the roof. And then we have the jacket of the wire, which is made from, uh, you know. Oil. Petroleum products. So, like, two things, metals and uh, petroleum are going through the roof, so... Yeah, it's crazy talk. Yeah, so I'm So, I'm you ticked. got notes over there. Tell I'm me ticked. more. Tell me I'm more. I'm ticked. Go ahead. Tell me. You know, this whole uh, DRM thing kind of ticks me off, cheeses me off. Well, it always has. Yeah. You know, remember we talked about it a while ago, the broadcast flag that uh, Congress yeah. was looking at doing? I know there's been a lot of talk on uh, Boing Boing about Microsoft and NBC. That's what I wanted to talk yeah. about. I wanted to mention that. Was that on Boing Boing? Uh, every day, dude. Because it was on EFF. That's where I pulled it off of. F? EF. Yeah, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Yeah, in case you haven't heard, there was this broadcast flag thing that they were trying to ram through Congress, which would mean that the broadcast services like NBC, ABC, yada, 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 they could send a signal that would flag their programs for broadcast only, which would prevent devices from recording it. And it never made it through because, you know, that's that's lame because fair use says that you can record stuff off of your television, right? That's what VHS is all about. Are you actually recording it off the television? We've been doing it for years. We've off been the rec- television? Off of whatever. Cable. Right. Yeah, I've got a television and it's much smaller than yours. Yeah, everything yeah. you've got is smaller than mine. Including, uh... 
<laughs> anyways, so including you're, everything. So we're recording. So we're recording off the, the television. VH. We've been doing it for years. It's something that we've been given the right to do. Right? It's fair use. I can record programs to watch for later. So they tried ramming this thing through Congress. It failed. But Microsoft took it upon themselves to say, oh, no, we're going to still enforce it. People can't use their computers to record stuff off of television because Microsoft is preventing them. A little thing says, a little pop-up comes up and says, you can't record this. You've been a bad boy. NBC yep. doesn't want you it's recording It's all over this. Boing Boing, dude. It's everywhere. Well, I don't think everyone's hearing about it, so that's why I'm bringing it up. I'm ticked. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And the other thing that, that's ticking me off, that did you hear about the uh, uh, Radiohead? I guess I didn't. What's news with Radiohead? Prince. You, being the of the two of us, you're pretty much the Radiohead expert. Yeah. So. Prince decided at some concert he was going to cover a Radiohead song. Right. And Marvin the Paranoid Android? No, different one. <laughs> that's a good song. Prince decided to cover it, and then someone recorded it live and put it on YouTube. Prince decided, I'm taking this down. So they sent a you know copyright notice. Well, Radiohead said, wait a minute, that's our song. We want it up there. So now there's this fight where Radiohead wants the song up there because they want to do what they want with their song. But Prince is taking it down. So I raised the question, who owns the song? Can, can Prince take it down because well, it was his performance? I think the issue is who owns that, that recording, not the performance. Who owns that recording? Well, Radiohead owns the the music. They own the song. They own the performance that they put on their record. Yeah, but can can you subpoena me to put a performance that I videotaped, even though you let me videotape it? Can you subpoena me to put a videotape that I own online? What do you mean? Can I subpoena you or whatever? Can you can it, it prevent? Can, can you can you make me? You know, like you know, there's a lot of bands that let you record their stuff. Bella right. Fleck lets you right. record their stuff in concert. So I go to a Bella Fleck show. I record his show. I put it up on one of the download places where you can download that music, and then I take it off. I don't think Fleck can compel me to put my recording back online. Well, no, but, I own my recording. But in this case, the person who put the recording online wasn't the one who took it down. YouTube took it down because Prince said, "I want you to take that down." Yeah, but. Who made the recording? Just a fan? Some fan who was in the audience. Hmm. I don't know. That gets into... That's a Lawrence Lessig... uh, That's that's all over my head here. That's what I'm saying. That's why our our copyright law is so ridiculous, because we're we're fighting over who owns what. Why don't we just put it up there? What harm is being done by putting it up there? All I have to say... You don't know nothing about it. (laughs) All all I have to say is... um, Yeah... Glenn Campbell. That's all. I, he's he's high octane got, apple pie. You got nothing. He's high octane apple pie, baby. You know what? Glenn Campbell is a fire hazard. <laughs> what does that mean? You see how much of hairspray he has on that helmet? Well, he did in the sixties. Yeah. Now go to you YouTube. Go to the Steve Lukather clip, and he needs a damn haircut. Go to YouTube, and he's gumming himself to death. And he's <laughs> if you go to YouTube and you look up Glenn Campbell, like from the seventies, that guy has got the quaff. I love you know what yeah I John and I I've been forcing him to watch Glenn Campbell videos because I don't mind you're not Glenn Campbell me. a lot of people think he's a country bumpkin and that boy can play the guitar and he was on every significant recording in the 60s he played on every Beach Boys record he played on every Birds record he played on any well, who was the main you know how much hairspray it, who was it the takes to who's fuel the that producer man? who's the guy we got on our website with Lang? no the other guy the guy who went to jail. Or on trial for murdering somebody. The guy, um, uh, wall of sound. Who are you talking? 
The guy who's on our <laughs> Phil Spector. Spector. He played on every session Phil Spector ever did. The guy's got did some he? chops. Oh yeah, yep. He was he was Spector's first. Was call he responsible guy. for Phil Spector's uh, helmet head? No, no, he wasn't. Because I mean, if anything, Glenn Campbell knows hair. He did anyway. Now he just needs air cut. He, he's no Gary Busey though. No, that's true. So you got any more notes? I got I got some other stuff. Paper? I got, got some other stuff because you absolutely, ab- yeah, obviously. Well, speaking of Mutt Lang, John and I were talking about this earlier. I just want the world to know that Shania Twain is on the market again since she and Mutt Lang have divorced. Well, I don't technically think that she's on the market. I mean, has she put ads out? She did. She called me, actually. What's the price? I don't know. I'm going over. I'm going to nail her tonight. <laughs> You're editing that out of the show. I'm not editing that out. <laughs> okay. I've edited some things out, but I didn't edit that out. One thing, uh, one other thing that I heard about, Dean Kamen. You know who he is? Uh, he was the guy who was on Lois and Clark. No. <laughs> no it's Dean Kane. A different oh, guy. You're right. Okay. Dean Kamen, he's this wacko inventor, the guy who invented the Segway. You know the thing that uh, oh, the, the, the was, he they, does Segway polo? Well, the the thing that uh, Adam or Jamie or Adam uses right. on Mythbusters all it's the time. It's the self-balancing two-wheel scooter. When they're scooter. chasing cannonballs. That, you know. Right. Well, Dean Kamen invented that, but he invents a lot of other stuff. He invented a uh, like a, a desalination thing that's really cheap and, and useful for third world countries. But anyways, he came up with this other that thing. That would be turning seawater into drinkable water. Yeah. yeah. He came up with this other thing, which I thought was pretty cool, which it's a prosthetic arm that you attach, and it, and it senses your nerve endings. This is nothing new where it can sense your nerve endings, and, and based on the signals coming from your brain, it can act like a real arm. So if, well, you're, if your you arm got cut off. Did you see that thing I sent you a couple weeks ago? Bionics are finally here. There's a company from Canada that's calling themselves Bionics. And I sent you a link like, you know, the, right. Steve Austin is here now. And, um, yeah, the prosthetics, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, prosthetics, especially since we've had that uh, Australian athlete in the news. He was being banned from running in the Olympics. Because he was running faster because of the blade he's, or something. he's been allowed to run. But, I mean, I was looking at the prosthetics that they're finally made. I mean, in, in essence, prosthetic legs have been the same for 100 years. They used to be made out of wood. Then they became made out of aluminum. And they were made out of titanium. Well, for, at first they weren't used. They were just there so they don't freak people out because you have a missing leg. Yeah, but now they're cosmetic. using materials and technology to really make cosmetic, uh, uh, not cosmetic, to make, what's the word? Functional. <sighs> Prosthetics mm-hmm. that uh, are more than just stumps. You know what I yep. mean? They're, they're actually doing that now. And I mean, it's amazing that it took so long. But yeah, I think the dream well, of bionics is here. I mean, it's not six million dollar man, not you know, not quite there. But you know, we're getting to the point where this technology is becoming viable. Well, the thing that's amazing about this this Dean Kamen invention is not that it's it's doing something that's it's a robotic arm because we've seen this before, and we've even seen where people have had like nerve endings and, and implants and all this stuff, and over the course of a long period of time, they learn how to use this robotic arm. With this one, apparently, it's something that. You attach to your your stump, and you put the sensors on your your stump. Well, you're so wrong. You attach to the 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 remaining limb, the remaining piece of whatever, and you you put the sensors there. And people have been able to learn how to use this thing within hours, and it becomes a natural extension. And if you go online, do a search for Dean Kamen prosthetic arm. You see some video of this. It's amazing. People are actually picking up spoons, doing some very fine tactile things, picking up spoons, eating cereal. 
great stuff. I mean, that's what we need, especially well, because again, yeah. thousands of people coming back from you know the Middle East with <laughs> right. missing limbs. Yeah, any of George Bush's or George Bush Sr.'s yeah. wars are giving us lots of people who need prosthetics. But that's what it is. It's, it's practical. I mean, the thing that well, we've been missing works. is... Right. I mean, again, they're using technology. I mean... We've had prosthetic limbs for hundreds of years, right. and until the last decade, they haven't changed. They used the to materials. be hooks that, that opened yeah. and closed. The and materials changed. They were metal, titanium, lightweight, instead of oak, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I've, I've got a worm in my arm. <laughs> you know, now these- Termites have ate my arm. You know, these guys had peg legs and parrots on their shoulders, and you know, now we're actually using real materials I know. and technology. We used to be condemning all these these amputees to a life of piracy on the high seas. That's right. Yeah. Now <laughs> now they can get real jobs and uh you know, they can be pirates on the highways. Well like we're really Mad Max. doing remarkable remarkable things and in, in this kind the kind of technologies that like have you seen that robot that Honda has been developing for years called Ibo or Asimo? Yeah, yeah Ibo's the dog it's or an unfortunate name, Asimo. <laughs> right. And I mean, they've got it to the point where it can do everything. Walk up and down stairs. It can I've go over all run. kinds of terrain. But, and, and it's freaky to watch because it looks like a little person with a backpack. And have you seen the mule? I haven't seen the mule, but but Honda has spent billions, billions mm-hmm. developing this. And it's remarkable. So we can finally start using some of the, that technology and, and, and helping these people, making their lives better instead of giving them a hook. You know, like you said. Maybe. Yeah, well, and and the the mule that I wanted to mention is it's another one of those things where you look at it and you say, that just does not look like a machine. My brain is telling me that this is an actual thing, an actual organism. Right. But it's, but it's really a machine. It's this, it's actually gas powered and it was developed for the military, I think by Carnegie Mellon or something. And it's a four... CMU? Yep. It's a four-legged thing and it looks like a four-legged animal with no head, no tail, nothing in it. They put packs on it, and it can navigate through any surface. They've shown this thing running through snow, like mud, dirt, uphill, downhill. It's amazing. And you'll see, like, it'll stumble and then get back up. Yeah, it'll... but how does it navigate through a mall? That's the question. Well, you know, it puts on the makeup. Like a food court. You and know, then it sees something its friends, like that. and it starts to giggle, and then it goes you, to the food court. If you can navigate a through a food court at noon, you're doing okay. I think that because it's a military thing, it has guns. That's how it deals with it. <laughs> it just shoots everybody. Or it's got Andre the Giant, and they say, everybody move! It's got Arnold saying, I will break you. No, that's Drago. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, the big muscular dude. So I got nothing else. So what do you got? I, um, do I have anything else for the intro? Other than the fact that my finger is healing, and it's been the cause of much... Uh, Here, let me pull it. Much, it's been the cause of much... Um, um, consternation consternation and drama in the past few days but uh, i think we got a tune yeah yes let's check it out
was alan holdsworth a little poppier tune <laughs> we played more accessible alan holdsworth there for you yeah well accessible <clears throat> is kind of relative in in the uh, prog sense well i mean it was sort of it was almost danceable for that matter that song i wouldn't dance to that i would totally dance to that dude I need another bottle of this and maybe i'll dance to well, it. you dance to anything i'll dance to an engine noise with <laughs> alcohol in my system but then there's that uh, what was that one called? That was called uh, Panic Station by the great Alan Holdsworth, a wonderful jazz fusion guitarist who was kind enough to give us permission to play his tunes. What's his website? TheRealAlanHoldsworth.com? Yes, it is. We just checked, and there's uh, we, we promised that we would plug any um, upcoming concerts he had, and it doesn't look like he has anything past the month of May, and it's pretty much June now. So, Well, it is June now. Pretty much. Yep. So uh, oh, we'll check uh, in the future. Actually, we should check every once in a while, and uh, even if we're not playing his music and just kind of keep people up if Alan Holdsworth's doing any concerts, because uh, actually, he just did one we missed, didn't he? He did. He played Rochester or something, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, I called like probably three I times. I forgot to call when you were in Texas, too. Yeah, I called three times to get tickets, and they said, well, and it's like this tiny little place in Rochester, and, and you call, and you have to call the bar to get the tickets. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, hard, well, wait a minute. I got to make a Harvey Wallbanger. Hang on. Right. And you when you call the bar, they, they they tell you, well, you have to be here. You have to come to the place to get the tickets. Oh, that's not good for us at all. No. And it's in, since it's like an hour away, hour and a half away, it's not doable. So I, I said, well, do you have any that I can keep on hold? And they're like, well, we don't have any right now, but call back tomorrow. So they, I did that like three times, and then I had to go out of town, and then Rich said he was going to do it, and then he failed to do that, <laughs> yeah, so we never saw it. So Alan when Holzer was it? Pro- when was Alan that show? Holzer was probably going to die, and we'll never see him again. When was that show, anyway? Um, let's see. That was uh, the beginning of May. Uh, that was like the so first we week of it. May. So I had... Um, well, John was thinking of uh, kind of a movie meme. What was what was your meme? It was a couple well, weeks ago. It was ago. the, the uh, blockbuster thing. Yeah. It was not last week. It was two weeks ago or, or three weeks three, ago. Yeah, well, with the... The day off we had because you had to go to like six months ago Six Flags over Georgia or wherever the hell it was you went Disney World I don't know Darien Lake Darien Lake well that's a Six Flags park now right nope they lost their Six Flags affiliate oh but when Six Flags uh, bought them or whatever they improved the park dramatically right they added lots of cool coasters and funny story the last time that. I was there they didn't have anything good I was really disappointed they've got a lot of really good coasters the funny thing about that is they have a, a, a roller coaster that used to be because of Six Flags that used to be Superman themed. It was called the Ride of Steel. Mm-hmm. Superman. Bam, 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 bam. Not that Superman. Bam, 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 the original. Bam, bam, bam. You mean like George Reeve Superman? <laughs> Low- <laughs> no. Like the comic book Superman. Oh. Superman, the Ride of Steel. It was this huge thing, like huge straight down drop. Well, since Superman is no longer allowed to be on the premises because of Six Flags pulling out, it's just called now the Ride of Steel out of nowhere. <laughs> Which is, John used to try to pick up women with that line. Hey, baby, I'm the Ride of Steel. <laughs> Mustache rides or something like that. 
Oh, dude, that is so wrong. <laughs> you know, that's that's one of those jokes. I'm sorry. Like, All right, me. so John had his um, uh, summer blockbuster meme idea, and while he was coming up with that, I actually, uh, concurrently, without even realizing he was thinking of a movie meme, came up Coffee with cat. my own. And it was top five favorite movie lines, right? We all have lines that we quote from all of our blockbusters and not blockbusters. So I thought, you know, let's do that. Let's quote some of our favorite lines. And and and, and as a corollary to this, just jokingly, I kind of said to John this week, I said, because this has been on tap for like three weeks, but uh, before we recorded the show, I said, you know, we should also talk about our favorite, and this is hard, this is difficult, our favorite movies from Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, I mean, we can just mention a few because, I mean, if you think about it, their careers are filled with tripe. You know, they got a lot of crap. But there's a few nuggets in there that are pretty good that I'll actually admit to enjoying. So maybe this movie line thing probably isn't going to take that long. All right, we'll so, see if we can get to that. Yeah. I'm, I'm loath to so mention do you want me to do you want yeah, me to go, go first go since first. it's my Your theme? Idea. Now, I, I just want you to know that I'm going to swear because some of these lines. You can bleep those out. No, I'm not going to bleep them out. Some of these, hopefully no windows are open and no children are listening at the door. Hopefully they're upstairs playing video games like John say prefers it, them it, to do. Say uh, it softly. I'll, I'll do my best. You know, one of these is scrummed, though. It's scrum. Screamed? <laughs> yeah, scrum. All right. And these are, again, in no particular order. And these are the five that I thought of at that moment. This list would actually probably change in a few weeks. or And it's probably going to be the top 50, not top five. Yeah, because John and I were talking about that. I mean, like, if you if you take the movie Aliens, the, the Hudson character has 500 good lines in the movie just by himself. And, you know, Pulp Blue Fiction Velvet. Is one big, massive line. Yeah, there's so many lines. But anyway... Um, this is uh, one of uh, both John and my favorite films. He quotes another line from it, but this this is the line that really kind of made me laugh out loud. And it's said by Frank Booth to Jeffrey Beaumont in the movie Blue Velvet. And John, I think, knows what it is already. But anyway, the line is, Heineken, fuck that shit. Pabst Blue Ribbon. That's right, because he asks him, you know, what's he want to drink? And he goes, oh, Heineken? Heineken. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, Frank yeah. Booth out of control. Yeah, so that was uh, Blue Velvet, 1982 or 84, I forget which. Uh... And I mentioned Pulp Fiction, so I may as well just get that out of the way. Yeah, just. <laughs> My favorite line from that is, check out the big brain on Brad. That's your favorite line in there? <laughs> well, of all of them, yeah, because it, there's so much other, you know, extra contextual stuff. The fact that he actually got the line wrong. But yeah, they kept it in the film. That's right. That's right. His name wasn't Brad. Yeah. Well, you know, I love the scene where the movie opens and they're driving in the car and Jungle Boogie's playing in the background and they're doing that whole conversation about like why they don't call it a quarter pounder in Europe because of the metro. Every piece of dialogue in that scene is just brilliant. The entire scene where they're in the apartment is probably my favorite scene because it's... Big Kahuna Burger? You like the Big Kahuna Burgers? <laughs> Yeah, these are that's a good burger. <laughs> now, my girlfriend's a vegetarian, which pretty much makes me a vegetarian. Yeah, it can get out of hand. <laughs> okay, what does Marcellus Wallace look like? <laughs> that's right. There's uh, so many good what? lines. Okay, what <laughs> line number two? Again, in no particular order, and this was said by uh, Hudson actually in the movie Aliens uh, to Hicks and Ripley. After, you know, some drama had happened, and uh, it was actually about the Paul Reiser character, who was, um, what was his name? He was the corporate weasel. Yeah, he was the, the guy putting them on the mission. I can't remember what yeah, his name was. I can't. It, it'll come to me. Anyway, Hudson says, I say we grease this rat fuck son of a bitch right now. 
<laughs> That's great stuff. I say we grease this red fuck son of a bitch right now. <clears throat> pretty good, pretty good. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a quote here, and you're gonna tell me who it is and what. Movie. Actually, we should do that. We From now on, yeah. we won't okay. say the movie in advance. We'll say the line. Okay, this is two people. It's dialogue. It's it's not just one line. It's it's a little snippet of conversation. Okay, how much is here? A neighborhood of three hundred thousand. That's a that's a very respectable neighborhood. Yeah, I know what that is. That's a Midnight Run. That's at the end. Yep, Charles Grodin and uh, Bobby De Niro. De Niro. That yeah. was that line always made me laugh. Well, I, we've talked about that line. I remember that. That's line. a respectable neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. He wants to open up a little cafe, you know, yep. and, and then he turns around and Grodin's gone. Yep, you know. And then he goes to get a cab and he goes, excuse me, you got changed for a thousand? Is that a cab you riding in? <laughs> yeah. All right. This next line has no profanity in it. And I Good. don't think you're going to get this. All right. It's three words. My hero dog. I have no idea. It's from, um, it's said from Joe Aramis to Finbar McBride in the station agent when, when Joe Aramis thought that, uh, uh, what's her name? The woman had slept over in his apartment and like uh, uh, Finn had like, you know, nailed her at night. And he's like, he knocks on the door and he's like, hey, <laughs> my hero dog. And he goes, my hero dog. <laughs> good one. Good one. Yeah, that's that's uh, I just laughed out loud. And today I could watch that film and just wait for that line. I love it. Now, I cut the profanity out because I thought this was a family show. So this is Two, just, you. This is the end of it. Someday a real rain will come and wash all the scum off the streets. Wow. Someday a rain. What's that from? You're not guessing? No, I don't know. Not even knowing me? I want to say it's um, Blade Runner. Nope. No, what is it? Taxi Driver. That was Travis Bickle. Oh, Right. He was doing like this internal dialogue, and, and it was one of those things where you can tell he was he was doing it over and over and over again, trying to get it right. And he he said something to the effect of all the skunk pussies and hookers and and pimps, and and then at the end of it, he says, "Someday a uh, real rain will come and wash this come off the street because it's raining." And he's my favorite moment in that film is when he goes to see the senator give his speech right. and he's he's talking to a secret service agent and he's got the jacket full of yeah, guns yeah he's got the jacket full of hardware and he goes um yeah i'm thinking about i want to join the secret service and the guy goes what's your phone number and he he does like like six digits or something like that right. and and then the guy goes oh no, that's that's the wrong number of digits. And he goes, "Oh no, that was my area code, which is still no, zip the wrong code. I was zip code. Zip code. Still the wrong number of digits." Okay, is it my turn? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, this actually has two lines, and I put one on here because I couldn't. I guess I was just too lazy to find the other one. But anyway, one of my favorite sarcastic lines in the history of cinema is, "You came in that thing. You're braver than I thought." I think I know. I've heard this. Of course, you have. Millennium Falcon. That's what she's referencing, yeah. Um, I oh, you said she's referencing, yeah, so it had to be Princess on. Leia. Yeah, it's Princess Leia. I can't remember which movie it was. It's though. the first one. Star was it Wars. the first one? Yeah. Oh, okay, or the fourth one? That's <laughs> when she was still faking the accent. Yeah. Well, and the other line was when uh, Harrison Ford was kind of getting sick of her. He would be like call her, "Okay, your worshipfulness," <laughs> you know, and he would say all these like wicked sarcastic. Yeah, he would find some really weird title to you know bestow your upon hostessness. Her. Yeah, yeah. All right, here's a good one. No matter where you go, there you are. I know what that is. I, it's a cheesy one, but I love that. Wow. 
I, I thought you were going to come up with some really profound ones. We, we no, both came up with we both came up with a lot of fun lines. Okay, I think you're going to get this one. You too. know that you have to mention it though. We didn't say who it was. That's um, Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, Peter Weller. Yeah, right. Uh, my number five again in no particular order is, and I like this line because it speaks of honor. And I mean, this is actually not. I mean, it's a com- comedy. It comes from a comedy, but it speaks to honor and people. You know, behaving honorably. And the line is, we are men of action. Lies do not become us. I'm not getting this one. It sounds like something that uh, Al Pacino would say. No, no. No, I don't know. Missing by a mile. That was actually the man in black speaking to Count Rugen in The Princess Bride. When he said, come, we must get you to your ship. Uh, When they were outside of the fire swamp. When they had uh, gotten oh, up. You mm-hmm. know, there are three dangers in the fire swamp. That's right. And you were clever enough to discover that. Right. <laughs> um, so that, are we done? Is that all No, five? here's my last one. Oh. And this is no surprise either. Okay. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. <laughs> oh, that's the godfather. Yeah. But the reason why that line is so great to me is not because it's just clever and funny, but because of it just underscores the callousness of the assassination. And if you watch this section of the, the film, what happened was they had just knocked the guy off. They, they pulled over on the side of the road. The guy said, I got to go take a leak. Some it was guy the driver, did, right? It was the right. guy who was supposed to be driving for the Godfather. But it, instead, um, uh, what's his name? Was it the was the driver. It was Carlo. It was the, the brother-in-law. Oh, was it the brother-in-law? Yeah, I think at that I point. Thought, no, was, the brother-in-law got killed by the Garrow. When they told no. him he was flying to Vegas. No, they whacked him in the car. I thought that was the driver who was oh, called no, no, in sick. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're he right. called in sick, you're and right. it was, um, what's his name? It was uh, Fredo who was driving when the Godfather got hit, but it was the guy who was supposed to be there. It was the driver. Well, the whole point of the, the whole thing was this sequence, Clemenza and this other guy. <laughs> Clemenza. Clemenza the John's big, favorite huge, guy in the huge film. Huge, fat guy. Clemenza, the scary guy. He's not as scary as Luca Brazzi, but another scary guy. But he and the driver and the guy they were going to whack, they go out and they spend the entire day making their rounds. Clement and it's a normal day. Clement, they even show, and it's like really drawn out. Clement sits, sits down. He has like three meals during the day. The guy stands <laughs> in guard. 10 minutes. The, stand, the guy stands guard. And like at the end of the day, they're driving home on the highway and they just make a quick stop. Oh, I got to whack you. Boom. Yeah, I got to right. urinate. And, and, here, and the guy, and one of the stops they had made during the day was to get some pastries, cannoli. And he's yeah. like, yeah, just toss the gun over there. Get, make sure you get the cannoli, though. That's right. Yeah, the gun's fine. As long as there's no prints on it. Oh. But, uh, leave the car. You know, yeah, take the cannoli. Let's just walk the rest of the way. I need to exercise some of this pasta. <laughs> That's right. Because I had three meals in the last 10 minutes. Oh. But again, Hollywood and our favorite films filled with, I mean, uh, you know, again, Hudson, you know, why don't you put her in charge? You know, Hudson, this girl has survived for three man. weeks with no training. <laughs> Hudson was good. Uh, yeah, there's certainly uh, there's certainly no lack of, of good. I mean, even the the most recent film we both saw, you know, I mean, there, there's, you know, Indiana Jones. No, no. I heard that bombed. I've seen so many bad reviews of that. But no, 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 no. The uh, Juno, you know, I mean, that film alone, there's a hundred great lines hey, in there. McGruff the crime dog. <laughs> so anyway, just really briefly, um, name some of your favorite Arnold and uh, Stallone films. But it's two of the most intolerable people in Hollywood, and yet they do have a few pieces of work that are uh, worth seeing. All right. I'm, the ones that I'm going to name and I'm, I, are probably going to be on my list, too. I'm going to name them just to be obnoxious. Ooh. Okay. Arnold, when he was starring as the twin of Danny DeVito. <laughs> you like twins? I didn't like it. I'm just making... 
Yeah, but the, the point is the ones you liked. All right. Uh, well, I kind of liked, uh, what was that, uh, Total Recall? That was pretty good. Yeah, I didn't like that, but Predator for me. Predator was Predator good. Predator is a great film. Predator was good. Had, I liked The Running Man. It was a film that had two governors in it, Predator. Yes. <laughs> Amazingly enough. I liked The Running Man. Running Man? Yeah, I liked uh, Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> that was one I was going to mention. kind of cute. It's not a Duma. <laughs> Boys have a penis and girls have a vagina. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. <laughs> It's not a Duma. <laughs> All right, Stallone. What do you got from Stallone? Uh, Rocky 1. Rocky 1 through 12. I like Rocky 1, 2 in the most recent one. Rocky 1. I didn't see the most recent one. That's Rocky 1. Rocky 1 was good. Yeah. What other Stallone? What other work does he have? The Omega Man. <laughs> I haven't seen that. No. Tango and Cash? No, <laughs> not so much. Stallone hasn't done anything that I've liked other than Rocky 1. Yeah. It's really a shame, too. Because I think uh, the, Judge Dredd, the guy might have some talent somewhere in there. I mean, hell, he wrote Rocky. You know, I mean, that won That's an right. Academy Award he, he for did. best script, and he took all that money and pumped it into his arms with steroids. Yeah, I guess he did. And now, at he's the end of the day, Rambo. it's really sad. These guys have between actually, the two of them, they got like forty films. Actually, when I was a kid, Rambo, the first one, First Blood, that was fun. The first one? The first one. First Blood. I, you know, I saw it, and I was so turned off by the Vietnamese girl, the dialogue they wrote for her. Vietnamese girl? Wasn't there a Vietnamese girl in that Not one? in the first... The first one was kind of like Rocky, where it was actually a pretty good story, I mean, even though it was Well, still, what was the one where he... The first the, one was he he went into town. Oh, and he tore it up. And, and he, he tore it up because they, they attacked him, and it was basically yeah. him well, just in the woods defending himself. did he go to Vietnam himself. or something in one of them? That was probably the most recent one. No, it wasn't the most recent because I haven't seen it, but I just remember some of the dialogue written for the Vietnamese girl was like, Rambo go America? And I was like, oh my God, kill me. Oh, Rambo go McDonald's. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Take your clothes off. I'll show you where Rambo's going. No, I'm That's sorry. nice. Very nice. Very I gotta, nice. I gotta, now the family cannot listen to the show. I swore like a truck driver. Are you kidding me? This is this one was... And it wasn't me swearing. It was me You're doing channeling the characters. I was people? channeling Hudson and... Uh, Not a very good job of channeling. Uh, yeah. You're exactly. still alive, by the way. You can't really channel someone until they're dead. All right. So we got a tune. We do. Check it out. <laughs> of Maui, me and my pakalolo baby, we'd sit and laugh at all the stars up in the skies, and we'd smoke until the sunrise, wouldn't it be nice if I could see my little pakalolo baby, and I would ask him if he still loved only me. Life could be so sweet with the sand beneath our feet on the beaches of Maui. Oh, Lord, baby, won't you come back home to me? Oh, Lord, I miss you so, and the only place I wanna be is with my little Pakalolo baby underneath the shady palm tree. Lately, while we smoke now, Haley, Haley, on the beaches of Maui.
Asylum Street Spankers, which is abbreviated on our board as ass. And it's just, it's amazing that they're doing another song about dope. <laughs> I'm shocked by that. That was called Pakalolo Baby, which had a very Hawaiian kind of vibe to it. And This uh, time it was Hawaiian dope they're talking I'm, about. I, that's the good stuff right there. And actually, I've sort of been in a Hawaiian frame of mind because I've been uh, watching videos of uh, that gigantic Hawaiian guy who's dead now, Israel Kamakawiwa Ole. Like, he did that version of um, uh, Somewhere Over the, the Rainbow. Rainbow, which is just stunning. This huge guy sings like an angel. Yeah, I was know? wondering why you're wearing a grass skirt when you came over today. It's 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 com- very comfortable. The coconut nipple thing is, <laughs> is just kind of odd, though. Again, very comfortable. Well, you know, you need support. So I saw a film last night, and I was actually hoping for more from this film. I really wanted to be more moved by this film, but instead it ended up being your classic World War II Nazi concentration camp horror <laughs> film, which, you know, where there horror? wasn't... Uh, yeah, you know, horror like zombies, a, not like, zombie not Nazis, sense, but horrifying. You know, oh, the, okay. the 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 not another one of those Holocaust things, those man's, downers, man's inhumanity to man kind of thing. I hate it when they have to bring out the heavy stuff. The film was called The Counterfeiters, and why, why I was hoping for something more was because I have a very soft spot in my heart for counterfeiters. <laughs> it's my favorite crime. Because it's so in your face, and by in your face, I mean in the government's face. I mean, if you can overcome the technical problems of counterfeiting money and making convincing counterfeit currency, as far as I'm concerned, (laughs) you're the bomb, and you deserve to get away with it. I mean, it's much harder now with all of the security devices they've put in American money. But, you know, back, this film, of course, was taking place in World War II, and this is a real operation. This is a thing the Germans did called Operation Bernard or Bernard. And it was to um, not only finance their war effort by by printing fake pounds in dollars, but to undermine the British and the American economy by, by in so doing uh, that. And what they ended up doing was finding a bunch of Jewish printers and actual counterfeiters, and they brought them to this camp, and they were given preferential treatment and, like, real food. You know, they weren't starved, for example. Right. And they just put the machinery in place, literally, you know, printing presses and all that good stuff. And they gave them the state-of-the-art uh, equipment to to do this, to actually, you know, go forward and um, uh, counterfeit pound sterling and, uh, and American dollars. And I I don't know, you know, the 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 previews I saw for the film kind of put a shed a light on it that kind of um, you know made the film seem like it was going to be a little bit more uplifting and there would be more you know kind of um, I don't even know I don't even know how to describe what I'm saying but in many more ways of an it was, adventure yeah but in many ways this was uh, you know we've seen all of these classic Holocaust dramas you know where people are just killed on the on the campgrounds for no good reason you know right. you're Jewish you know they just shot them but again these people were given preferential treatment but kind of an interesting footnote in the history of um, World War II you know because even now this particular counterfeiting effort was the largest ever undertaken you know more dollars were counterfeited uh, in that brief period when they were doing the British pounds and the American dollars than anybody's ever counterfeited since so it's sort of an interesting, and it's actually quite brilliant. <laughs> you know, the Germans were actually really kind of smart to, to undertake that. And as I understand it, the U.S. has done this as well. In recent years, I have heard stories about the U.S. counterfeiting 
uh, different currencies from the Middle East mm. to try to destabilize those governments. So this is, I guess, elves fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so this is uh, nothing new, and it's uh, still going on today. But you know, an interesting look at history, and uh, you know, I, I definitely, again, another one of these films that's very traumatic to watch just because of the the whole Holocaust thing. But a, a good film and definitely worth seeing. And uh, this was directed by Stefan Ruzovitsky, a 2007 film from Germany. Oh, I thought it was Austrian, but I guess it's German. 99 minutes rated R, but yeah, interesting. A couple of uh, counterfeiting films that I've seen that are pretty interesting. Uh, Catch Me If You Can. That was brilliant. I I thought that was really good, and and it wasn't the typical Steven Spielberg kind of thing. It was more along the lines of his, uh, what's it, uh, Schindler's List. Counterfeiting, though. More check-kiting. Well, but there was some counterfeit in there too. Was he making money ever? In he the was film? making fake. Oh yeah, he was making. Fi- was well, he making money in France he, when they finally? He wasn't him? counterfeiting currency. He was he was counterfeiting documents to make money. It was, right. was checks. Yeah, but and and then the other one is to live and die in L.A. Do you remember that one? William uh, William Defoe. William Defoe yeah. and uh, it was a Michael Mann film. Mm-hmm. Very very interesting. Anyways, actually, and I'm not joking when I say I have a, a, a grudging respect for counterfeiters because. There was a period about 20 years ago where I had seen a special on PBS Nova about counterfeiting and currency in general. And they interviewed this guy who, I guess, in the history of U.S. counterfeiting is the only person who counterfeited a significant amount of money who never did any time for it because he turned state's evidence. And the guy ended up writing a book about his story. And the book was called I Made It Myself. And it was one of the most interesting reads I've ever had in my life. It was the book was published in the sixties, late sixties, I think. And I don't remember the guy's name, but to this day, he's still a printer and an engraver in Manhattan, and he's still working. Yeah. But what he, they went into great detail how he solved the different problems because money is printed on engraved plates, which is called intaglio printing. Mm-hmm. So the ink is raised. That's why we can feel texture on the the money when we rub it between our fingers. So he came up with all these different solutions uh, to make the money feel like it was printed in Talio, even though he was printing it offset. Right. Brilliant guy. And, uh, of course, the the one joke I learned about the printing industry from that book is, like, printers, when they go to conventions, go out to other printers and say, making any money? You know, that's, that's, like, that's their big joke. But anyway, good stuff. Love, love counterfeiting. Anyway. <laughs> love counterfeiting. I love it. I, I wish I could do it. You know, I caught counterfeiters, by the way, once in a retail store that I worked at. Did you I have guess- a little pen? No. No. Oh, you know what that means? No, I can't tell. I'll tell the counterfeiting story next time. Anyway, this is Rich Wilgus. John Salarico. You've been listening to Bloodthirsty Vegetarians right here on Shibiash. Hey, you know what we've got? I don't know. A website, www.bloodyveg.com. That's right. We have a forum uh, there as well, www.bloodyveg.com slash forum. And we've also got this place where you can send uh, uh, internet mail messages. On the interweb. On the intertubes. <laughs> That's right. Feedback at bloodyveg.com. And uh, I got... I, 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 that's it. That's it. That's all. We're else. done. Remember, you're listening to the VIB. 